Friends, welcome to another episode of Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast. I think I said that funny. A Saddleback Church podcast designed is. to help you deepen your faith, or as Linda is going to say, uh, do you know any other languages, Linda? Not well enough to translate that phrase. Well, then let's the say it in English. <laughs> <laughs> it's the show that helps you grow. Um, I, I don't either. And um, so, <laughs> friends, we are, I'm really excited today. So we just finished our conversation with Lisa Pack, our guest today. And I can just say, is it is awesome. And so you are in for quite the experience here. Um, Elisa Pack is the global strategist for Finishing the Task, uh, which is an organization that is dedicated to um, trying to reach all of the uh, unreached, unengaged people groups um, around the world. And so she's going to talk a lot more about that. But it was great conversation. She is super smart. And um, we're just, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to listen to it. There's no point in talking anymore. Um, so now let's join our conversation with Lisa Pack. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship. And we are here today joined by our very special friend and guest, Elisa Pack. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. No complaints. Um, God is good. God is good. That's, you know what? We should start every episode just by yes. saying no complaints. God is good. So <laughs> love it. really happy that you're here with us, Lisa, to talk about finishing the task first. Um, if you could just give our audience kind of a little introduction about who you are, what your role is with finishing the task, how long you've been a part of of the organization, all that kind of just background information, and then we'll dive into what FTT is itself. Yes, absolutely. Um, so as you introduced me, my name is Lisa Pack, and I'm actually a Korean Canadian. And um, as we do this podcast, I'm sitting in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Um, and I was born in Toronto, my parents um, immigrated to Toronto. And so I consider myself a second generation diaspora kid, you know, mm. um, and I got involved with finishing the task just before COVID hit in earnest, like I was down with you all in Southern California, um for like a two week and then halfway mm -hmm. through that um our respective mm -hmm. leaders of our nation said they were going to close the borders in yeah. march 2020 and so yeah. that's when i uh, kind of had to fly back a little bit like, early. I, I never I, got I, back down. i gotta go <laughs> yeah. yeah actually mike was like i think we need to get you back i'm like that might be a good <laughs> idea and then of course it was work from away um mm -hmm. for a little time like that but um before then, I had been doing pastoral ministry for about 14, 15 years in the Korean wow. diaspora churches. And so that yeah. included Canada, the U.S. East Coast um, near yeah. the Boston area, um, also Singapore and South Korea. Wow. And so that my experience there gave me this heart for young people, the rising generations. And also the nexus was with missions, because um, as many um, of you know, and if you don't know, that's totally fine, that South Korea is a very strong missionary sending nation mm -hmm. and even the diaspora churches. So it was kind of ingrained in my upbringing, but didn't really come to the forefront until my I started serving in the Korean churches that I did. And then 
Um, I did a, a few years in between at the Canadian Bible Society. was a little bit restless because I, I felt like it wasn't the right match for me. Mm. And then when I was hosting the finishing the task conference in December of 2019, uh, Mike was, I was there. The I remember. Yeah. So Mike <laughs> was leading the whole thing there. And he kind of said, Hey, where are you in life? And then that started the conversation. <laughs> I joined the team a few months yeah. later. So wow, <laughs> that's really cool. So, okay. So you're with us today to talk about finishing the task. Give us an overview of what the organization is, where it started and what's going on with it now. Absolutely. So it's funny because when I think of finishing the task, my mind literally goes back to in the beginning yeah. was the word and the <laughs> word. Um, because I think it really is this overarching narrative that starts at the very beginning um, with we need to save humankind uh, because mm. of the fall. Um, but in when you talk about it as a point in history, I think we can be said that it started at this um um, I guess it was gathering of 600 world leaders in Amsterdam mm -hmm. and it was in the mm -hmm. year 2000 and I was just like graduating high school then. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was in the year 2000 when a collection of world leaders gathered in Amsterdam and then the pro the proposition came up. There are still untargeted people groups is mm -hmm. what they called it. And they're like, yeah. this should not be happening because we are, you know, we're, we all remember how big Y2K was and right. we're getting into the digital age and travel has opened up and globalization and everything. And like, how can the church still not be focused on people who have never heard before? So that became a big question. And mm -hmm. so out of um, this group of leaders, they were gathered, you know, the banquet tables, you know, table mm -hmm. rounds kind of style. And so they had this table called table 71, just literally numbers, right? Um, and the leaders around that table said, well, we've got to do something about it. And so leaders from all over that gathering started taking um, certain people groups and they just accumulated in table 71, kind of grabbed the last 200 and some odd people groups. And from there on came this idea that we really need to target um, and reach the last unengaged and unreached people groups. And that kind of, the list fluctuated because we didn't know what we didn't know. And there were more people groups than the, the ones that we thought we had. So that, right. that list like grew and then, you know, people were very intentional about getting that list down to zero. Like there should be zero people groups on this earth that have not been um targeted and that's that's a strong word but basically that they sh it should be known that they don't have the gospel and the good news and how do we how do we remedy that if we truly believe that jesus is only way um the the truth and the life then we need to do something about it and so that was how it all kind of birthed yeah would you give um uh, a background for the listeners of what unreached or unengaged means? So it's hard to um, imagine when we're on the Western hemisphere, because so much of Christianity shaped modern history, a lot of our um, yeah. like uh, history that we study in schools and how, you know, the Renaissance, Enlightenment, it all was just part of that, right? The, the church has been such a staple in the growing of civilization in the West. Um, but there are actually people groups out there who have never had exposure um, to the good news, to the Bible, to the living God that, you know, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's just literally no framework for it. And so it's very hard for us to conceive of that, that, but there are still people groups out there who have never tasted and never heard, never had access and still do not. And so that's what we mean by unreached. Um, and once you reach them, so let's say a person is aware of them and they go there, the engagement part is different because it's one thing right. to be there in person, but another 
to have engaged them in conversation and to engage them in a um, gospel or a good news presentation and then start planning churches or something like that. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we say unreached and unengaged. And there's actually some scholarly debate on exactly what those definitions are, but that's a general um, working definition that will yeah. do for us to hear today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's terrific. That's helpful. So I know that um, FTT's sort of mission grows out of the Great Commission. Right. So talk a little bit about the role that Christians have in the Great Commission and how that kind of becomes FTT and, and how that all works together. I think um, traditionally, um, and maybe it was because, you know, travel was not as easy and um, education, like the public was ne uh, not educated traditionally in history. There was for the nobility or for a certain class of people. Um, so I think we have this idea of missions um, and the Great Commission as something that belongs to pastors, people who are, you know, mm -hmm. in seminary or they, mm -hmm. they have to, you know, be particularly trained as a missionary to go overseas. And I think there was a place in history for that because you have to be trained in cross-cultural education education or the language of the target people group that you're going to. And you really have to be, you had to be ready to get on a boat and never see your um, family again, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. taking your kids. So I think there was a season in history where that really was the definition and the church back at home was really praying. I think that changed with a lot of the digital age and the information age and the travel age mm -hmm. where it's really belongs to every Christian, every believer. And I think that was the truth, even for the early church as well, where it was like, Hey, you believe in Jesus, go out and share who, yeah. why you're doing the things you do. And that's how the Roman empire changed, right? Cause mm -hmm. it was just ordinary people loving their neighbor. And mm -hmm. through that, it cascaded throughout the Roman empire and then throughout civilized the known, the known world and known civilization back then. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the great commission in the modern world, I think we've compartmentalized it a little yeah. bit and mm -hmm. we really need every person to say, Hey, I love Jesus. And it's got to be both in both my neighbor near and both my neighbor far, because we really are connected in a way in history that was unprecedented. It's just, is so much more possible to get on a plane and go somewhere and just, <laughs> sure. um, as you're sitting with somebody, it's, it needs to be the fragrance as Paul says that we yeah. carry ourselves with Christ and Christ carries us. Yeah. It, it's definitely crazy to think how the idea of global missions has changed mm -hmm. over time where, you know, it can, you know, it used to be, as you said, you know, you go out on these long voyages, boats right. or what, you know, whatever. And it's literally becoming a, a new life of going and doing this thing. Um, and versus now we do have the options, the opportunity to travel for a little bit of time or to work with different groups that that are are in different areas and whatnot so mm -hmm. it's 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 very different but the the intentionality still has to be the same of yeah. getting involved with the people of being in the culture of not just going for a week and then saying peace out yeah. i'm gonna go back you know <laughs> and, and then just leave people to their own devices mm -hmm. so the mm -hmm. intentionality still has to stay the same of of immersion, full engagement, mm -hmm. but it can be done in some different ways than it used to be. Oh yeah. And I love that idea. Cause you know, usually summer short-term mission trips are two weeks, right? I used to, yeah. I, 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 I believe I'm of the group of thought that still believes that there's a place for short-term missions. Sure. You have to do it well and strategically, yeah. but piecing out is not a good idea. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned about the globalizing world is that 
the pattern of migration movements for whatever yeah. reason, natural disaster, conflict, or just better opportunities, mm-hmm. and the amount of people groups that are just traveling around the world, not only to, for better opportunities in North America, let's say, but also the expats that are going out east or Southeast Asia, like there's really people are not staying put. And why is that a bad why is that a bad thing? it's it's the world that people want to explore but those are also those new roman roads that are established by the lines of travel but also the digital world so it's like this very complex system that is now emerging and the church needs to use all of that exactly what the um, great commission says to go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all the commandments that i've commanded you so it's not just like sprinkling the gospel with these tracks or even just on digital forums it's really a relationship that we're looking to establish with all people groups, our neighbors near and far. Well, it's it's also just, in, it's interesting to see how the center, if you will, of Christianity, so, so, so where the majority, where more Christians live is moving more towards like the Northern Africa region, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, like that's becoming kind of the folk guy, if you will, mm-hmm. and how more and more that the language of Christianity is more towards Spanish mm-hmm. and in, in, into some of the other languages and in England. And that just shows, as you were talking about, that shift of where, like, uh, of mm-hmm. as Western cultures is is moving a bit, you know, more in like uh, that postmodern type of thought, you have the places where, where, Missions has been focused. We're starting to see some explosion yeah. more mm-hmm. in terms of where of where the faith is being centered, if you will, yeah. which is so interesting. And and this is an oversimplification, but you know it starts in the Palestine Middle Eastern yeah. area where mm-hmm. Jesus was and the apostles were, and then it kind of goes up to Europe, and then mm-hmm. persecution and the Reformation and the Counter Reformation, all that pushes it out to North America, the New World, and then now we're in this season where we're like you said, it's the global South and the yeah. Far East, and so for me, it's just evidence that God has always intended for all people groups, but also that diversity and different cultures. And for me, this is the other angle, generational continuity is built into Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God. This is just the way that it unfolds. And it's such a glorious, um, wonderful mosaic picture. And that's not to discount the role that the West had in pushing the missions movement out. It's just, it's grafting in everything else that God is going to do in the coming years, um, in the coming days. I love that. Um, now I know that finishing the task has a pretty audacious goal and it has a date on it and that is the year 2033. So tell us a little bit about the 2033 goal. So this, I need to tell you, first of all, what 2033 is not just so we can dispel (laughs) some rumors or just some, you know, thoughts that it might conjure up. It's not an eschatological date. So we're not saying that, Hey, 2033, you know, Jesus is going to come. I, again, we remember Y2K and how much of a letdown. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not saying that, um, when pastor Rick Warren kind of put that up there, I think it was just recognition that, you know, if the church calendar is, you know, somewhat in the ballpark of being accurate then um jesus was um ascended when he was 33 and that's also when he gave the um, great commission so it's just a ballpark figure 2033 is the 2000th anniversary of the great commission um and in his season as a as a leader of finishing the task it's also a great 12-year arc right now from now until then and Mm -hmm. so what can we do in our generation in 12 years to accelerate the work of the great commission and then we regroup 
And he said this a few times as well, you know, people are going to be born in 2033. So clearly we need to share the good news with those <laughs> people who are being born. But again, it's just a marker for us because sometimes when we have a goal, like it's like a due date for an assignment in school, yeah. you have to work towards it and you want to show something for it. And, you know, um, 12 years is a great, um, it's a great milestone because you accomplish things in 12 years and you can see the global patterns emerging in 12 years. Like it's hard to do that in two years mm-hmm. um, because you're just planting the seeds and getting the gears going. So I think yeah. 12 years is a strategic um, arc, but also it's not eschatological. It's it's kind of symbolic in many ways mm-hmm. because it's a 12th anniversary. But beyond that, hey, um, let's just see what we can get done by that marker. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And so it's been an interesting time, obviously, with FTT. There's uh, the change of leadership that happened, I think it was two years ago or something like that. Yeah, when, d- the same one, the December 2019 It was that conference. same conference yeah. when Pastor Rick officially became, you know, a, a, the leader, the face of, of FTT and, and started to set some kind of different goals, one of which being the 2033 goal. So, um, I know that you haven't been with FTT super long. It's been almost two years, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is awesome. So what have been some of the biggest breakthroughs that you have seen while you've been um, a part of FTT? I, I need to give some backstory on this because when Paul Eshelman was a leader, and again, mm-hmm. this was when I was a kid because I was out of high school in 2000. And then I remember going to one of the FTT meetings because I was invited. And I'm in my early twenties. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> what is this list? And what am I doing here? And I just kind of like drifted did my own journey with God and comes full circle now. Mm-hmm. So one of the great breakthroughs that we're seeing as the leadership transition went from um, Paul Eshelman, and he did such an incredible job with yeah. that legacy list. Like it's like God seriously used him to get us to this point. And now with um, Pastor Rick Warren um, there, it kind of expands um, into what only Pastor Rick can do. And that's why leaders are called for a certain season. One of the great breakthroughs is that that legacy list um, that we started with, that Table 71 started with with 639 people groups. That is, uh, we're getting really close to zero, if not zero. And so that's <laughs> even going on as we have this conversation right now. So that yeah. is a huge breakthrough. Just being able to track the um, that, you know, a decade and a little bit of work that those gentlemen spearheaded with their organizations and all the women and men and the young generations that were part of that to accomplish that with intentionality. That's a huge breakthrough. And with Pastor Rick um, taking on the leadership, the deaf people groups are huge on his heart as well. And he's mentioned this a few times, like they were just overlooked. Um, Not because, you know, we don't, we don't wreck. It was because we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. Right. And now that it's emerging and we're recognizing less than 2% of all the deaf people groups in the world even have access to Christ. Like that's something that we need to kind of balance out. And also um, another breakthrough is just this recognition that the diaspora people groups, whether they're again in North America or whether they're in Europe, whether they're in Oceania or Southeast Asia, Far East, these migrant people groups, what is their role? The diaspora church, what is their role in the Great Commission? Because we see that becoming such a strength in the coming years. 
and then finally the young generations. Now that one leadership transition has happened, um, you know, Pastor Rick is also considering right now that there's a transition out of Saddleback as well. So recognizing that there's a generation of leaders that are old and older, they're still very functional, very able to lead. But how do we bridge that with the younger generation that is, that are digital natives that view the world differently, that have different concerns about the Great Commission and how it's done and different social issues they have to tackle as they go out and share the good news. So there's also that kind of um, breakthrough in recognizing that that needs to happen. Hmm. Um, and, and there's this whole spirit of collaboration. People are really looking to lay down um, whatever rights they have and whatever titles they have um, so that they can really come to the table and collaborate together in their distinct fields and in their distinct skills. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those are some of the markers of FTT as we move into this next phase of this whole um, endeavor. That's incredible. So as you look ahead to this big goal and, and it's exciting to celebrate the, the breakthroughs that you've already seen, what do you see as the obstacles, the biggest obstacles to achieving this amazing goal that you guys have set? Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about that question. I, I want to change that word to opportunities. There you go. <laughs> Do you know, Girl because, after my own heart, right? <laughs> because obstacles kind of, it feels like there's a wall in front of you and there might be, but it's like, you need to step on top of that wall to, and, and then figure out because everything that is in God's hands, it might seem like an obstacle, but if you just turn your perspective such a little, a little right bit, on. or maybe it's your heart that needs to shift. It becomes this crazy, crazy opportunity. So if I can um, change that word to um, opportunity, um, mm -hmm. I would say that traditionally, and this this was where um, finishing the task was able to get the work done under the leadership of Paul Eshelman. So again, not docking at all, but there are shifts in the world that we need to um, kind of like adjust to as well. But traditionally, the mission organizations and the churches have had a little bit of a divide, like the mission organizations are the one that send out missionaries and they have the specialties and all that. But I think the season is coming where the church and the mission organizations have to come in closer alignment because it is going to be the national, the local churches that are closest to the UUPGs or the unreached unengaged people groups that are in the diaspora communities. They need to really take up that this is our great commission. It's not just for the mission org. So there needs to be a little bit of a closer alignment, which is why we have our um, 3B Bible believers and bodies of Christ and the gentlemen who are currently spearheading that right now. Um, they're from mission orgs. And it's like that bringing those two entities, those two giant entities together. And of course the mission orgs and the churches are under the great banner of the body of Christ. Like that's mm -hmm. all of us. And so there's that kind of um, opportunity there, especially with the spirit of collaboration that's coming up. I think also it's dispelling the idea that the great commission or missions is from the West to the rest. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that because the way that history has unfolded and because on, if we're gonna be frank about this, Every missionary did not do it the best way. There are hurts, there <laughs> right are deep hurts that need to be addressed. And it's this um, attachment of Christianity to Western ideology that needs to be separated because God is a God of all people. And let's be honest here, it, it's a Middle Eastern religion if you want <laughs> right. to put a label on it. And so it's dispelling that and perhaps yeah. doing the work of uncoupling that a little bit and saying, Jesus is yours as much as mine. And we've just had a history of doing missions, but we need you to step up and making and creating leadership space 
for other communities who have the ability and who have probably more of an ability than we recognize because we are used to thinking a certain way to share the good news with people that we may not be able to reach because we're of Western mindset or because of a certain way we look. That's why diversity is such an asset to the kingdom of God. And so those are some of the opportunities I see. And again, I mentioned this where the diaspora church, we're talking third culture kids who look a certain way, but think intuitively in two or three different cultures and perhaps linguistically as well. I feel like those, that generation is going to be very powerful and they also need to step up and say, this Jesus who died for me through and through missionaries, we received that good news. There's something that God is calling us to that is bigger than just, you know, living a good life and being a good Christian that goes to church on Sundays. That is like the bare minimum. And there's more, <laughs> we are made for more. I'm telling you we are. So those are some of the opportunities that I see on the horizon. And it's, it's exciting to think of it, but there's a lot of work to be done. It is. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a, a lot of work. So as, as people are, are, are hearing this, maybe for the first time, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love for you to take the opportunity to, to talk about some common misconceptions or myths about unengaged, unreached people groups that you could probably like dispel for our listeners. Like, for example, you know, the idea as, as a part of this goal around the bees, the Bible part in particularly, is that the goal is to have a Bible available in every person's heart language. And mm-hmm. that's where, and that's where, where you're talking about those deaf groups in particular and how those were overlooked. And so as we're talking about unreached unengaged people groups, there's a common kind of belief that all, that we're talking about people who live in jungles and that we can't find. But mm-hmm. one of those myths is that actually there are people who, who don't live in jungles that just, that are it, it, in this case, in the deaf community, who just don't have a Bible available to them in their heart language, their sign language or their braille language. That is heart that, that, that is their heart mm-hmm. reading language. So what are some other of these myths or misconceptions that you mm-hmm. can share with us? Mm-hmm. Again, for those of us who are in the Western side of the world, or uh, um, I think one of the big ones is that they're still out there. Yeah, they're still out there. There are people groups like the deaf and there are some um, that are in remote parts of the world, you know, and they're protected Mm -hmm. peoples by their governments because they don't want them to be, um, you know, affected by Western culture or any outside culture, never mind Western, just like any outside culture, let them be kind of thing. So there are there. Number one, they're still out there. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine because for us English speakers, a number of translations and versions that are available <laughs> to us, like is just so much. And it's just all over like Christmas is coming up, you know, Thanksgiving, yeah. it's all over the place. Right. So we, it's hard for us to imagine that there still are people groups out there and there are, and some of them are smaller in number. Um, What's that number at there. right now, Lisa? Um, What's our number of so here, yeah. So again, this is where the data and research community differ a little bit, but for the finishing the task um, list that we have, it's just over for ethno-linguistic people groups, it's like 118. And then you add the deaf people groups that we know of right now, which is around 35, 37. And so that all comes together um, to um, give us about, you know, 150-ish, um, wow. somewhere around there. Wow. But again, the way that we define people groups right now is over a certain um, population. So a hundred thousand or more, or like 50,000 or more. And so if you're, you have a people group that's 500 or less, they're not necessarily counted on some list. So it really depends on how your community, how your organization counts. Um, And then there's segmentations in that. So it is a very complex 
science-y art kind of thing in terms of determining number of people groups, which our data and research community is really um, having conversations on how we can get to a collective common language as well. So that is something to pray for that's, so that yeah, we can measure. That's important because um, I, I remember for a long time that number was around like 3,000. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the big, you know, it was a big deal when we got from 3,200 to 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups left. But I'm guessing that that was taking into account a lot of these smaller groups too that might not appear on these lists of of groups that are that are a hundred thousand or more is that is uh, would that be a fair way to put that do you think yeah i think um um with the ftt list there was a certain number uh, sorry uh uh a category, and I have that with me right now, and I should probably look that up for you um, in one of my many pages <laughs> on my desk right now. Um, I'll, I'll probably find it um, a little bit later, but um, there there is a, um, a, a certain number that we accept, and here it is right here. So um, when we look at people groups here, um, so workers need when we count the workers needed, for example, it's one per um, 50K. So okay. So that's the, it depends on how you break it down. And so gotcha. the population numbers and our, our um, finishing the task unreached unengaged people group list is, uh, is found on our website and it's updated Great. every month. And so it, there's a little bit of fluctuation depending on the reports that we get in. And so that's um, finishing the task.com cool. and you can look at our reports every month. So they're out there and they have a, a key or something that, that tells you what our categories are and how we have understood them. But again, it depends on the organization that you go to and how they've chosen to define um, certain, um, certain populations. So for us, our list is sorted by country and populations over 500. And okay. so we've taken that threshold down a little bit to 500 right. now, and it used to be higher um, yeah, before yeah. I joined, right? So again, we're getting a little bit granular because we've done the big things and now we're trying to really, again, just be more specific and more intentional about getting the smaller people groups out there. Very cool. So what have you personally learned, Lisa, or how have you grown through your involvement with FTT? I think um, number one um, for me is just how, how, how many good, strong Christian leaders, passionate are out there, women and men um, that we don't even know of who are daily their hearts are on fire and they're walking from village to village or they're in countries that are closed. Um, and so they do the work and just how, how we're not alone. It's like that Obadiah. Oh, I'm the only mission organization or like, and it's not like in the West we have, we were connected with certain people, um, who are always working on this. But when you look at the globe, you can feel alone, but there's so many people out there who have the great commission burning in their hearts. And they're like, we need to do this work. And so that has been very eye opening and also encouraging. Like theoretically, you all, all always know that there's got to be somebody out there, but to hear their stories and to hear how active the spirit is and to hear how bold and how um, focused they are in getting um, getting just the good news of Christ to their neighbors who are like 10 kilometers away or, you know, eight miles away. I think that's huge. And it honestly, I mean, I'm a Westerner. I'm born in Toronto. This is where I reside it kind of puts you to shame in a good way. Like we are distracted here. There are other priorities that tend to see um, come up on our list of things to do today. And when you bear it all down, it's how important is that compared to 
really saving one soul in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. taking the time to talk to somebody and making the emotional space in your heart. But what have we cluttered it with? Right. And so those are some honest questions that you begin to ask yourself, even as a pastor, even Mm -hmm. as a missionary in a context that is so um, there's so much other noise out there Mm -hmm. and that wisdom. So that's, that was, that was one breakthrough for me in just terms of reorienting my thinking. Um, And the other one was just the long legacy of missions. Like it's true. God has never lost a generation and he will not start now. Even Mm. in the Babylonian captivity, there was Daniel and his, you know, crew and other Jewish people, obviously out there, Esther, we know the story of Esther as well. And so God has never lost a generation. And uh, I'm saying this as a Canadian, I'm saying this as a Korean Canadian, um, there w- there is a lot that the Western missionaries did. Like the gospel came to the peninsula before there was North and South Korea and the mm-hmm. Pyongyang wow. revival in 1907, because it was Western missionaries from the United States, from uh, Canada, from Western Europe who came. And so I, I think even despite the, the sometimes difficult points in history, we have to acknowledge that there were people who just did not have a regard for their own well-being or their own mm-hmm. comfort. And they went out. And that's why for me, the challenge to the diaspora churches is very personal. Like how dare we deny to other people groups, what we so freely receive and other people so sacrificed to get to us. So it really is personal for me when I think mm-hmm. about the diaspora churches, like we didn't, the, we didn't just understand or just grab the gospel out of the air. It was, God has always used human agents for that. So being around the gentlemen of table 71 being around pastor rig being around mike constance and david sean like all those mm-hmm. leaders that are in our in our sphere right now it's very humbling but also just it's empowering in some sense to know that now there is an opportunity for us to pay it forward really that debt of grace we are we have the opportunity to pay it forward so that just really touches a deeper part of my heart as I find myself in this role as a global strategist right now. How do we do mm-hmm. this together and link that history together? Because there's such richness there and there's such wisdom, there's such powers and generations of prayer there. And to throw the baby out with the bathwater would just be such a foolish mistake. And mm-hmm. so to acknowledge what God has done and to draw the best from that and to honestly, our the job of our generation is to not change the principles, but convey it in a way that connects to this modern generation. Now, that's not always easy, but I don't, I don't think we do ourselves any favors when we disregard all of that history. Like being in the room with some of these gentlemen whose ministry careers are longer than my life, like that's <laughs> something else. It's, it's something yeah. else. And they're so <laughs> humble about it too, right? So, mm-hmm. so as, as we kind of wrap up, if, for those that have been listening and they're thinking, okay, I get it. I want to be a part of this. What can our listeners do to get involved with finishing the task? What are the opportunities to get, to jump into this? And this is like the obvious answer, but I am going to say you need to pray because there's one thing to just assent in your brain say, oh, I want to do something about this. Maybe it's a little bit of boredom, a little bit of guilt, but it's got to be (laughs) deep inside your soul. Like we're all humans. We're all Christians. When the pastor says something, we want to get on board. You have to own this. And mm. you, you need to pray that this great commission or this command that Jesus gave to all his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, that's in your deep part of your soul. And it gets real, it reorients your perspective and also praying for the opportunity. Cause honestly, in this day and age, not everyone's meant to go over to Southeast Asia or to right. India where a lot of the UUPGs are, mm-hmm. because again, in your neighborhood, do you know the Vietnamese family down the street? Because 
you know, maybe they are also Christian. You can do something together. Maybe they haven't heard of Christ. And you just, the eyes to see the world the way that God does. And honestly, to lay down some of our assumptions or preconceived notions of other people groups, because that's the other thing, right? Other people groups, unreached, unengaged people groups, they're not unintelligible. They are not uninterested. They are people like you and me and being able to connect on that human dignity level. So there's a lot of prayer going into that, changing our own hearts, but also prayer for the workers right now and for the leaders right now, that spiritual warfare. Let us not be mistaken. The more that people pick up on the reality that people, we need to share the good news, there's the other spiritual um, aspect of it where it's like the enemy doesn't want us to do that. He's, right. forgive me for putting it this way, he's going to take as many people to hell as he can. I mean, that's the way he functions. He kills, steals, and destroys. And that reality, let's not, we can't beat around the bush on that. There there are lives, there is eternity at stake. And one of my favorite movies, Gladiator, what we do in life (laughs) echoes an eternity. That's Mm. so true for us. And so to be able to pray for that vision and that spiritual warfare and some practical things that are coming up, we do have an FTT Accelerate online conference that's for free. You can register at finishingthetask.com and we'll be hearing a little bit more about um, the three Bs, Bibles, Believers, Bodies of Christ, and those goals and how we're trying to um, vision cast that to the regions of the world so that again, the people there own it and we can all collaborate together. And then working towards the first global Congress in October of 2022, which it feels so close. It's like less than a year away um, uh, for finishing the task FTT 80, 2033. So those are some of the big events, but we're not event driven. We're relationship driven. We are a network of networks, a coalition, if you will. Um, and so we really want to encourage people to reach out to their local churches, their leaders, um, and find out how they can get involved both in your local and also thinking globally as well, because we have you know, an opportunity to connect those two, like, unlike any other generation before us. That's so good. You mentioned this earlier, but if you're wanting to learn more, then you can go to finishingthetask.com. There's even information on there about the Accelerate Conference, which is February 22nd, 23rd. Um, it'll be an online event as of right now. And, and there's a fun countdown on the website mm-hmm. too. As of this, as of this recording date, we're 110 days away. So mm-hmm. this is exciting. <laughs> and, and Lisa, it looks like you're going to be one of the speakers at the event. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There so you I'll go. be speaking can... <laughs> towards the rising generation, a huge part of my heart. So yeah. Very cool. So, so feel, so on, so go online and check out the website. Um, it has the global report that Lisa was talking about earlier and has information about people groups and some other ways that you can give or get involved too. Lisa, we really appreciate your time. This was really fun to talk about this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see everything that's happening with finishing the task. And it just seems like there's so much momentum behind it right now. Um, it's really a, an exciting time. Um, so it's, so it's, it's the perfect time for, for us to be talking about it and listeners, please go on the website and check it out. If you have other questions about it, feel free to email us at maturity at saddleback.com. And we would love to get you connected with uh, people in finishing the task. So Lisa, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, I I look forward to seeing you uh, at the conference uh, in a couple months. Sounds great. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Jason and Linda. Awesome. Everybody have a great rest of your day. We will be back again uh, with another fun conversation next Tuesday.
If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Music